Bibles, turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, as we look at the doctrine of reconciliation. We've studied various great words of Scripture. We started with total depravity, that it is within each one of us. We are born with a sin nature, and then we commit sinful acts of all kinds of passions and desires that well up in our flesh. But then we have God's grace. God's grace came and scooped and rescued us. It is not deserved or earned, but his love is freely given because that is by nature who he is. He is a God of grace. We talked about regeneration, kind of the birthing room of believers, where when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, like eight things happen at that moment, just one thing after another after another, the moment you trust in Christ. It is exciting to study that doctrine, to know that we are a new creation, born into the family of God, and on and on. Then we looked at the doctrine of substitution, that Christ took our place on the cross. We've talked about imputation, that our whole record of sin, which is against us, was taken off of our account and placed on the account of another, Jesus. And then when we trusted in him, he puts on our account all of his righteousness. What a beautiful transaction imputation is. Then last week we talked about redemption, which takes place in the marketplace, really in a slave market, and how you and I are born as slaves to sin, children of wrath, and we're standing up on the slave block, and all we can do is obey the master of sin. But Jesus Christ comes down and he rescues us out of the slave market. He takes us out of the marketplace and he sets us free. And I told you last week, do you remember? What it would, we have no idea what it would be like to be slaves. Either to be born in, slave, in slavery or maybe captured by an enemy king and made a slave. You have no rights of your own, no will of your own. You can only do the deeds of your master and he might be good or bad. And if he's harsh, you're still doing his deeds. It was an awful lifestyle to be a slave unless you had a good master. But if you didn't, what a difficult time. You would, you would want to escape if you possibly could. Jesus Christ rescues us out of the worst living situation as a slave to sin and to the devil. And then he sets us free. Like we, could, we walk away and we never have to go back there again. Talk about liberty. Talk about freedom. It's right there. But tonight the word is reconciliation. What does it mean to reconcile? The word to reconcile, it's used two times. It's used in different ways, but I'll show you two times in the scriptures. One way is in the idea of accounting, finances, where to reconcile, like if you reconcile your bank account, you're taking a bunch of things and you're conforming them to a standard. You're bringing your whole list of digits into a perfect relationship with the bank's standard. So you, we can reconcile our checkbooks or bank accounts often, I hope. But that's the idea of like financial. But in, in personal relationships, to reconcile, it means to take somebody who is at odds or against you as an enemy or a foe and bring them into a peaceful relationship. It's beautiful, all right? Because we are the ones that went to war against God. Let's look at it. Colossians chapter 1. In the context, Colossians is written to a group of people who have been taught by the Gnostics that Jesus, yeah, he's great. He's like some type of creature, created being that fits maybe the top of the angels or something that actually did something good. Paul's correcting that. In Christ dwells the fullness of the, of the Godhead bodily. When you were looking at Jesus Christ, you were looking at God himself. He's not some created angel who's come in to intervene. He is God himself who gave his life for us. So the whole theme of Colossians is 
Christ and the preeminence of Christ and the greatness and the deity of Christ. So in that context, we get verse 19, Colossians 1.19, For it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus Christ, all the fullness should dwell. He is 100% God. When you, when, you, when you touched his hand, when you walked with him, when you ate a meal across a campfire, when you slept outside the Sea of Galilee in a tent going on to your next ministry, you were with God Almighty. Can you comprehend it? These disciples, they, they heard the teaching, they saw the miracles. John says it in 1 John, he says, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. They saw Jesus Christ. They heard his voice. And then he says, that which we have seen and our hands have handled. Concerning the word of life, God himself. John knew when he embraced Jesus, he was hugging God. Wow. John knew this. He's like, the joy that we had walking with the Savior and having fellowship, he says to the rest of the church, can be yours. You never touched him. You never saw him like we did, but you can have the same depth of fellowship. We're not lacking anything not seeing Jesus face to face. Christ in us, the hope of glory, the Holy Spirit. Just take advantage of it, right? Be hopeful. Be joyful. That's the context. So it pleased God the Father that in Christ all the fullness of of the Godhead should dwell. Verse 20, and by him by Jesus Christ, to reconcile all things to himself by him. See, Jesus Christ came to bring peace and make peace with everything that had gone in rebellion. The people that went into rebellion and his, creature, his creation that rebelled against him, they didn't want saving and rescuing. He stooped down to do it. He initiated all of it so that he could make peace possible with us. All right? So he by Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, by him. Listen, verse 20. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. You guys, things in heaven needed reconciling. Why? Because where did Satan's, where did this fallen angel Lucifer, who we now know as Satan, Diablos, the devil, the adversary, where did he first commit sin? Up in heaven. He tainted sin and corrupted sin with his own rebellion. Can you imagine the devil? Here he is, God's highest creature created, an angelic being, praising God, hovering over the fiery stones of the throne. And one day, nobody knows it. But one day he's like, I'm going to kill God. I'm going to plan, I'm going to plan it. And when he's not looking, I'm going to kill him. And I'm going to get angels on my side so we can go to war against him. And by the abundance of his trading, he's like, hey, angel, so-and-so, come with me. We're going to rebel against God. We'll take over the universe. It'll be ours. Get God off the throne. Will you join me? He gets a third of the angels to join him up in heaven so that they might kill God, go against him and his authority. Can you imagine that? That's the first murderous plot right there. So God cast him out of heaven, and he ended up in the Garden of Eden. And now he's thinking, I'm still going to rebel against God. I still want God dead, but now I'm going to, I need more people in my army I need mankind to join me in rebellion against the master, against the creator. So that's why Colossians 1 verse 20 says, by Christ, he's going to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth, because things down here need to be reconciled. Sin has contaminated earth, but also in heaven, things in heaven. Having made peace, there it is, having made peace. The word to reconcile means 
to be brought into a peaceful relationship, finally. Having made peace, and how did all of this reconciliation take place? Through the blood of his cross. There's two things. To have reconciliation, you've got to remove the offense. The offense has got to be dealt with. And it was dealt with when Jesus Christ went to the cross. Because the thing that made us an enemy of God, Jesus Christ paid in full on the cross. And God the Father is satisfied. So two things to reconciliation. Number one, the offense has got to be removed for full reconciliation. It's got to be paid somehow. Somebody has got to pay the offense, right? Jesus Christ did it through the death, death on the cross. This Greek word is katalasso. Katalasso means, listen to this, katalasso means only out of two parties, only one is hostile. Only one is at war with the other. The other's not at war. But one went to war against another. So Christ, who is not at war with us, came to bring peace so that we who are at war with him could finally be brought together again to sit down at a table. It's beautiful, isn't it? Take your Bibles. I'm going to show you the other Greek word. Go to Matthew 5.24. Matthew 5.24 is dialasso, not katalasso, but dialasso, Matthew 5.24. Here's the same word reconcile in the English, but a different Greek word. This means two people are at war with each other which is what happens between men, right? Men and women. Here on earth, you offended me, I offended you, now we're at war with one another. Look at the priority God has on reconciliation when two parties are at hostility with, against each other. Matthew 5, verse 24. Jesus says, verse 20, let's go to verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar... All right, what's the gift to the altar in Matthew 5? If you bring your gift to the altar, it's not this. It's not, this is not an altar, by the way. It's just a table. This is not an altar, and the gift is not your money for Sunday. All right, that, that's, that's New Testament thinking about an Old Testament text. I mean, granted, Matthew's New Testament, but he's talking about the Old Testament altar. When you went to an altar, what did you bring? An animal sacrifice. Here it is, a little lamb walking, bah, bah, it's walking, and you bring it to the altar. What's your next thing? You kill it, you give the best to God, and then you burn up the carcass for your sin, right? That's what you did with your sin. And you guys understand the sin offering, how bad it was. You would, you would bring your sacrifice to the center of the camp, which is, in the very, which is at the tabernacle. And if you have 1.2 million people living in that camp, you're, ta- you're walking miles to get to the tabernacle. You offer your animal sacrifice, kill it, drain its blood, give, the best, give everything to God that he needs, take the carcass, drag it outside of the camp and burn the body for every single sin you commit. That's what you do. Every single time you sin, you got to do that whole process. I mean, all day you could be dragging dead animals around, all right? But here, God says, when you bring your gift, maybe it's a peace offering or a burnt offering. You know what burnt offerings were? Burnt offerings were voluntary. You didn't have to give a burnt offering. You had to give a sin offering. You had to give different offerings. But a burnt offering, it was all voluntary. You would wake up one day and say, hey, honey, I love God. I love the God of Israel. I love the God of my fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know what? We only have one bull in our, in our pasture, only one. And if that dies, we're going to be doing all the work ourselves. But do you want, let's show our love to God today. We're going to take that bull and offer it as a burnt offering, which means what, by the way? Do you ever get that animal back? No, it's dead. You don't even get the skin. 
you don't even get, you don't get the meat, the skin, nothing. It's all given to God. You would bring the bull and you would say, God, this bull is our livelihood. It is everything to us, but we love you and we know you'll take care of us. It's yours. Isn't that cool? Talk about an act of worship. Now, if you didn't really like the Lord, you'd say, honey, we got a, a lame lamb that's blind and deaf and it's going to die anyways. Let's give that to the Lord. I mean, come on. That's, God knew what was going on. But anyways, the, idea, the context of Matthew 5 is this. When you go to bring a burnt offering to the Lord to say, you're saying, Lord, this is how much I love you. When you bring your, look at verse 23 again. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled. It's the dialasso. You have two people at war with each other, go and get it right. Whatever you need to do, go and get it right. Be reconciled with your neighbor, your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You know what that tells me? I think God believes in the church as well that reconciliation has to take priority even over worship. Because how can we worship genuinely if our relationships are all hostile. You can't. You can't come in here with hostility and bitterness and rage in your heart and then go, Jesus is coming again. You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't fake it. You, to us, you can, but to God, you can't. He says, you come to church with bitterness and anger towards a brother. Stop. Don't. Don't. Don't come. Go and get it right. Be re- That's the priority of reconciliation. Now, does every relationship get re- reconciled? No, so that's where Romans comes in. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So here's the idea. We sinned against God. And so now I'm gonna, let's t- let me take you back to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to tie it in, hopefully, to our own relationships with one another when we talk about what Jesus did. So Colossians chapter 1. We are enemies of God, so we, he's going to reconcile all things, having made peace through his blood. Verse 21, and you who once, listen to verse 21 of Colossians 1, and you... You church-age believers who once were alienated. You know what it means to be alienated? Separated. We were separated by, from God by a great gulf called our sin. We were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled. He's made peace. He's brought us into a peaceful relationship. Even though we were enemies in our minds through our wicked works. Listen. In our flesh, in our old nature, our old nature would want to kill God and take over the universe. We are just as bad, if not worse, than Satan. Do you know that? Every unsaved person wants to be God. They live maybe moral lives and they could be very good, but they are rebellious against God and his authority because they have not trusted in Jesus Christ. And if they could, they would kill God and take over the whole universe. That's, that's just... We are separated by God, enemies in your mind by wicked works. So in the Garden of Eden, when Adam ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the, before he ate it, he was at peace with God. He, he looked at God and his authority. He submitted himself. He wanted to please God and honor God and love God and serve God. The very moment he ate the fruit and he fell into sin, he was alienated from God and he became an enemy of God. Although he looked the same, in his heart he was like, I will do anything I can to be independent of God. And if I can sneak around and kill him someday, I will do so. Believe it or not, that's the seeds in the heart of every unsaved person. That's the sin nature. It's rebellion against God. It's enemies and um, alienation from God by our wicked works. 
Yet now he is reconciled, which, which means he has brought us into a peaceful relationship in the body of his flesh through death. That is how our reconciliation was paid for. Jesus gave his life for us. He paid it all so that we could be brought into peace. Now, if somebody in our church or in our relationship, our sphere of relationships offends us and hurts us, and, and, we won't, and they won't reconcile with us, the only thing you can do is you can forgive them and not hold that debt against them. You can pay that debt yourself. True reconciliation is not asking them to pay up their own debt. It's you paying it yourself with simple releasing them from that bondage. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? He died for us. He released us from all that we owed and all that we did. Every offense, every sin paid in full. And then he said, I have done everything to clear the way and path for you. Now you must come to me. And we come to him by faith and we get that peace. So if, if somebody has offended us, you forgive them. But to reconcile, you, you can't hold that debt against them ever again, even if it means you're paying for it yourself. You never hold, it, you never hold the payment against them ever. It's paid. All right. So Jesus paid for that with his death. Take a look at Romans chapter 5. A next, another, I'm going to take you to three texts here. Colossians 1 was the first. Romans 5 is the second. This one's a great one about reconciliation as well. I love the conclusion to it. Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 6. Romans 5 verse 6. Paul lays out here what we were like before and then what Christ did to reconcile us. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, no ability to please him, no ability to pay our debt, no ability to take care of our sin issue, no ability to change our enemy state or our alienation, there's nothing we could do. We were without ability. We had no strength. We couldn't say, oh, I really want to try to love God. I'm going to try so hard to love God. I'm going to stop being his enemy. I'm going to start being his friend. I really promise. I'm going we had no ability to do that. We were simply fighting God, rebellious against him all the time, all the time. So while we were without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly are those who have no thought of God in their life. It doesn't mean that you're like totally wicked. It just means you have no thought or care about God, which is most of the world. They are ungodly. They don't always act ungodly. Some do. But for the most part, they just don't take God into account. How many people at the Vikings game today eating a $36 hamburger, tater tots, and Melissa told me that somebody bought a hamburger, hot dog, and a pop 36 bucks? Seriously? $36 for that? Whoa. Um, how many people sitting there um, had a constant thought about the cross and the gospel? I mean, I'm sure some did. But for the most part, they're happy living their life without God. That's the ungodly. So we're without strength. We're simply living our life without God. Jesus died for us. Verse 7, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. I mean, We'll give our life for another, but hopefully they're a decent person. <laughs> Why would you give your life for somebody who's just evil and wretched? Um, but yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. I mean, it kind of makes sense that somebody would die for a good, honorable man, but doesn't it? But no. Verse 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners. So not only are we without ability to breach the enemy state, not only are we just living with no thought to him, but we're also in practice a sinner. We love sin and we practice sin just for fun. See all these things we have against us? While we were yet practicing and loving sin, Christ died for us. See, he didn't wait for us to say, all right, let's call a truce. Let's have a peaceful relationship, God. You start. No. We were going our own way, enjoying and loving our own sin, wretched, thinking no thoughts of him, having no care for him. 
um, and he said, I'm going to initiate all of this. I'm going to come down and pay the debt myself. I'm going to open the way so that you and I can live together in peace. See, what a God we have. What a Savior. But listen to this end, verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So we're going to be spared his anger and wrath. Look at verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, here it is through the payment, that through the death of his son, much more, pay attention to that word much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Here's what I think it means, everybody. Stay with me. When we were without strength, when we were ungodly, when we were still sinners, and when we were under his wrath, he stooped down to save us and reconciled us. He reconciled us when we were that despicable. True? If he's willing to go to that extreme when we're that wicked, once we're his children, what is he willing to do for us? Seriously, do you understand it? The greatness about this text is if he is willing to do all of that when we're his enemies, once we're his friends, what is he willing to do for us? Do you know what he's going to do for us? For all eternity, he is going to bless us beyond imagination as his children, joint heirs with Christ. Do you see? If he is willing to save us and remove us from wrath while we're wicked, desperate, enemy sinners, then once we're brought into peace, he's going to do much, 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 much more above that. That's the kind of God we have. He's the God that goes above and above in the abundant life. Listen, we have no clue how great life with Christ will be in heaven. We know how great it is with Christ on earth, but heaven is going to be much, much more. I think those are going to be some words we're going to say in heaven a lot. Oh, this is much, much more. The trees, much, much more glorious. The fellowship, much, much more glorious. The singing, much, much more glorious. Time with Christ, much, much more glorious. We're just going to keep saying that all around heaven. It's because he's just going to go far, far above. If he's willing to do all that when we're dead in sins, once we're alive, it's just better and better and better. All right, last text. 2 Corinthians 5, it's one of my favorites. Let's go there. 2 Corinthians 5, I hope this just charges you up. 2 Corinthians 5. Again, this is a great text on reconciliation about being brought into a peaceful relationship with God. And this, by the way, is going to motivate you, I hope. I've been praying about this all week. I want this to stir you up and motivate you to reach the lost people around you this week. To think about them because they're enemies of God, although they don't act always like it. They are, and we want them to be at peace with God. Remember, it's only one-sided. God is not at war with us. We are at war with him. The world is at war with him. So 2 Corinthians 5, check this out. Verse 17, we'll start there. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All right, so that's what we are. New creations, the old life, the old sinful desire, all of that's been passed away. And now newness, newness, greatness, just like the much more of Romans 5. So now I think while Paul's writing that, he's beginning to think, wait a minute. All things are new? What all things? And then he goes on. He's going to talk about these all things. Look at verse 18. Now all things are of God. All the things that are new are going to be blessings and gifts of God, one after the other. Okay? All things are of God. But how did we get these gifts when we were his enemies? Here's why. Who has reconciled us to himself? He's brought us into a peaceful relationship to himself through Jesus Christ. Listen, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So here's the trade-off. 
Jesus comes down and reconciles us. He brings us into a peaceful relationship. And then he says, okay, now I'm giving you the ministry of reconciliation. You need to go, I think, twofold. Go and reconcile your relationships that are, ro- that are broken. We all have broken relationships, true? I mean, we're all mad at somebody. I mean, we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be, but we all are. There, we look at our past. If you've, been, if you've been alive 50 years, you've got people in your past that have hurt you or whatever. I mean, if you're 60, you've got more people that have hurt you. If you're 100, you've got a lot of people that have hurt you. And you know what? We need to forgive and reconcile because our God is a reconciling God. And we need to go and do that as well. So that's the ministry of reconciliation in one part. The second part is we need to go and tell the world that they can also have peace with Christ because they're at war against him, and they need, to, they need to be brought into a peaceful relationship. So then in verse 19, that is, here it is, that God was in Christ. Not that God was in Christ, like dwelling in him, although he was. The idea is that God was, through Christ, when Christ was on earth, reconciling the world to himself. He was paying the debt. He was removing the offense so we can finally have peace with him, not imputing their trespasses to them. God was not putting all of their sin on them. He paid it all himself. And has committed to us, you and I believers, the word of reconciliation. Okay, stop. Here's where I'm going to end now, just in a few verses. He said he's committed to us. He's entrusted us. He's given us the word of reconciliation. Before it was the ministry of reconciliation. Now it's the word of reconciliation. And if I was a Corinthian, I'd be like, Paul, what word of reconciliation, right? Doesn't that make sense? Isn't that the next thought? What's the word of reconciliation? If, hold it, if God wants me to go with a word of reconciliation to an enemy world, I need to know what the word is, don't you? He tells us, I think, verse 20 through chapter 6, verse 2. I think the chapter 6 break is wrong. I think it should, that should flow right into chapter 5. I think verses 20, 21, chapter 6, 1 and 2, That right there is the word of reconciliation. You guys, if you memorize that word, that's what you go tell the world, and God will save them. You with me? He said, I'm giving you the word to speak of reconciliation. If you say these things to the world, some will believe and be made into brought into peace. Are, Are you guys excited about what the word is, the word of reconciliation? Okay, I am. Verse 20, here it is. Now then, here's the word of reconciliation. So put a break there at verse 19. Now we start a new thought. Here's what God wants us to tell the world. So picture me. I'm going to the world tomorrow. Here's what I'm going to tell them. I'll just face them and tell them right now. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? I tell the world, now we are ambassadors of Christ. Do you know what an ambassador is? An ambassador does not represent a country. Who does the ambassador represent? The president, one man. The ambassador, of course, is from the U.S., but in any country, the ambassador basically stands in for the one. We are literally, God, you are going to stand in for my son Jesus while he's not on earth. So I'm telling the world, hey, everybody in the world, now we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were pleading through us. So I'm telling the world, God is like begging, pleading through me to you We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled with God. That's our message. I'm going to go tomorrow and tell the world, hey, you guys, I got a new job. It's been 20 years I've had the job. I'm an ambassador of Christ. 
Oh, yeah, who do you represent? What country? Heaven, but I represent just the one, King Jesus. And he has a message for you. If God could be in my body right now, if God could use me, he would beg you and implore you, be reconciled to him. You're at war with him? Be reconciled with him. I'm at war against God, they're going to say? Yes, you're at war against God because you've sinned against him. Well, how do I fix that? Here's verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Hey, Jesus paid the sin which caused the, the enemy relationship. He paid it, and now you can become the righteousness of God in him. See how verse 21 fits in? But we're not done. Move on to chapter 6. We then, so I'm going to tell the world this. Hey, world, we then as workers together with him, who's the him? With God. Wait a minute. Do you, under, do you understand the beauty of that? Listen, everybody, look at me. You are working in partnership with God tomorrow out in the world as an ambassador of Christ, telling them they need to be reconciled. And it's like God is right next to you. You're, work, you're going hand in hand. Hey, Brian, let's go to the next house. Okay, God, let's go to the next house. We are ambassadors of Christ. It's like God is pleading through me. I beg you, be reconciled to God. You're at war. Why are we at war? Because you sinned, but Christ became sin for us that you might be made the righteousness of God. Isn't this exciting how this works out in 2 Corinthians? Chapter 6. We then, as workers together with Christ, also plead with you in the world, don't receive the grace of God in vain. How do you receive the grace of God in vain? If you don't believe it. If you don't believe it, the grace of God is empty of its power. So I'm going to tell people tomorrow, I'm going to tell you the truth about Jesus. He paid for your, you're at war with him. He paid for your sin. He wants to give you his righteousness, and that's by grace. And if you reject his grace, it's in vain, and you don't get it. You're going to stay an enemy forever. All right? You can receive the grace of God in vain by rejecting. But look at the last verse, too. For he, God himself, says this, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. What? Yeah, you know what I need to tell the world? All right, world, in an acceptable day, God will hear you, and in the day of salvation, God will help you. What's the question of the world? Before they were asking, why, do I, why am I an enemy of God? Now they're going to ask, well, what day are you talking about? What day is the acceptable day to do all this? Look at the end of verse 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't delay because you could get in a car accident. You could just tip your head back and with the dizzy spell die. There's, who knows what could happen? I could not make it home tonight. I could die at an intersection down here. I mean, who knows how long I have? Right now is the day of salvation. Right now is the accepted time. So what am I going to tell the world tomorrow? I'm going to go to the world tomorrow and say, hey, everybody, I'm an ambassador of Christ. It's as if God is in me right now pleading with you. You're at war with God. Stop it. Be reconciled to God. Why are you at war? Because you've sinned against him, but Christ became our sin for us that we might be made as righteousness. Does it end there? No. We are workers together with God pleading for you. Don't reject this. Don't, don't get this grace of God and throw it away empty. Rather, in the acceptable day, believe. Well, what day should I believe? Right now, because if you die in 10 seconds and you don't do this, you're going to be in hell for all eternity. That's the word of reconciliation. He gives it to us. We don't have to guess. You guys, we're not wondering, oh, what exactly should I say? He tells us 
2 Corinthians 5, 20, 21, chapter 6, 1 and 2, it tells us exactly what to say. And if you say those four verses, do you think God is going to transform somebody's life this week? Oh, you bet he will. The problem is the world doesn't know we're ambassadors. They have no clue we're ambassadors because we've never, we've never said it. They don't know they're at war with God because we've never told them that. They don't know that Christ died for our sins, and that's how you get out of this enemy relationship because we've never told them that. We've never told them that now is the day of salvation because they think they're going to live forever. They think they've got a long life drinking and doing whatever else they're going to do. We've got to tell them. Don't you agree? That's the word of reconciliation because they are at war with God, and if they die in that state, they're going to hell. And there's no way out, but we've got the truth. So what are we going to do? We're going to use those four verses and tell them. We're going to go to the world and say, hey, guess what? You're at war with God. I'm at war with God. Yeah, you're at war with God. Well, I don't think I'm at war with God, but you are at war with God. You've sinned against him. Well, then now what do I do? Christ paid for it. Trust him. Are you serious right now? Yes, right now. Don't delay. You could die right now. Yeah, well, don't say that, but um, you, know, you could die soon or something. But man, that's the message. That's what's transformed us. You all agree? So I love the word reconciliation because... I don't want to be an enemy of God. I want to sit down and have fun and with him and enjoy that relationship all eternity. So that's the thought. Let's pray. Father, again, it's a great word. One word after another talking about our salvation. There's nothing greater. We are ambassadors of Christ. Go into a foreign enemy land. But tomorrow, Father, we, we're going to talk to people tomorrow. I don't know, maybe at the grocery store, gas station, maybe at work, maybe, I don't know, someplace. Help us to get a conversation going that lets people know they're at war with God. They may look surprised, but they are truly at war with you if they haven't trusted you. But then let us give them the good news that Christ removed the offense by paying for their sin. But then let's also warn them that today is the day of salvation and not to receive this in vain. They trust Christ. And they need to do it right away because today is the day of salvation. They don't, tomorrow's not guaranteed for any of us. So help us to be that passionate with people tomorrow. And Father, if we obey, you will bless. And you will see men and women, boys and girls saved. What a message. What a gospel. What a savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Wow. Man, that's great stuff, isn't it? One thing after another from God. Good, good, good.